I have my blood drawn, uh, check my cholesterol, which is just super high. So they put me on cholesterol meds, which make me really irritable. Ask the staff. It's like, you asked me that question twice. Anyway, uh, but so they put, I don't even know why I was, oh, so they take my blood. I'm like, what am I even talking about? So they took my blood, and I hate getting my blood taken. I won't even look. It's like, they come with a needle. I'm like, I'm not looking. Just do it, you know? And she starts going, do you watch The Walking Dead? And I'm like, yes, I watched the And it was so exciting because I didn't even, like, oh, I didn't even feel it because I was talking about The Walking Dead. Brains. You can sing that. Brains. Not much comedy in the message today, by the way, so you better laugh now. Um, uh, here's, here's just a little heads up for you. Uh, recently, I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, they're in a really kind of a tough place in their life. They felt really alone. They wondered why no, no one was asking them what was wrong or offered to help. So he came to me. He was kind of angry about all this and very upset. And I said, why are you so upset? And he said, because, you know, none, no one, going through all this and no one seems to really care. Now, I know on multiple occasions I had asked him what was going on. I know other people who had asked him what was going on because we've all noticed something's going on. But every time you ask him, he says, oh, no, it's great. Everything's wonderful. And so by the end of our conversation, he realized he had no one to be angry with but himself. Now, why do I tell you this? Uh, it's not because anyone here is angry at anybody else. It's the opposite. We're very encouraged. You're very happy. But there's a lot of work that's going on around Element. And since buying that field out there, our budget is very tight and very thin. Uh, and you guys have always been uh, really, really faithful. And so we're at this location where we are right now for probably at least another three years. And some things need to be done in this building. And so this week, one of my other friends says to me, you know, how is anybody going to know? You know, what, what the needs are or what we're looking for unless you ask, unless you tell them what's going on. So kind of reminding you of my story of my other friend. That's why I told it to you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just quickly give you a little ask and tell you what's going on around here. And in a few months from now, we're going to be doing a really big ask as we look to try and pay off that field and, and build a building. And so we have a, a permanent home and things like that. Uh, but today, I'm going to tell you that essentially there have been a handful of people around Element who donate a bunch of their time and even more of their money to make this old car dealership actually usable for all of us. I mean, it's fallen apart all the times. Uh, we have expanded the nursery at this point five times. We expanded the kids' rooms at least that many times. If you ever try and find out where my, James, or Christie's offices are, half the time you can't find them because we're always moving them somewhere else to try and make more room for people. As a matter of fact, the women's ministry wanted to have a meeting two weeks ago, and they're like, where can we meet? And we're like, we don't have any place for you to meet here on a Sunday morning. We don't, we don't have any room for anybody, so we're always moving and changing things. Uh, and up until today, most most of the upstairs was completely unusable because of safety and mold issues. Every time it rains, James and I would wake up in the middle of the night with nightmares, hoping we put all the buckets out in the right places. Every time. Uh, sometimes we didn't, and the kids would come into the rooms, and there would be like puddles over the floor because we didn't, because the roof just leaked like a, like, uh, like a leaky roof. I don't know. There's, there's an analogy somewhere, but I don't know what it is. Uh, and the water would run down. I'm sure kids thought it was great. Yay, puddles in our kids' rooms. It wasn't so cool because it ran down through all the other junk on the way down. And no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you all had to get like, you know, hepatitis shots on the way home or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so, so what we finally did is we, we actually uh, fixed that roof. 
And so what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you an, an ask of you because it was actually pretty expensive. It cost us about $15,000, and we actually had somebody donate all the labor. It would have been double that. And so at some point, we would actually like to be able to give this guy some money back that he paid for all the labor to have all this done. Uh, and again, because we bought the field, the, the budget is really, really tight because we're making payments on that, and we're not like the government. We can't print our own money. No one would take it anyway. Here, have some element money. And they'd be like, uh, no, thanks. Looks like Monopoly money. Okay, I got it at Chuck E. Cheese. You know, whatever. You know, and, and I hate talking about money. I, I really do. Uh, but again, if I don't tell you what the need is, you will never know. Uh, and so we essentially need about $20,000 to, to pay for fixing that roof and help reimburse one of these guys for all the money they paid to do that. So first off, number one, if you can help, great. This is wonderful. Uh, if you want to designate an extra gift that says building improvements, wonderful. If our offering is just really big today, then we'll know what it's and that's great. Um, so if you can, we'd really, really appreciate it. This is not just a place that you come once a week. This is really our home. There's stuff goes on almost every day here right now, and we'll be here for another three years, and so hopefully you feel like it's your home as well. Uh, second thing is I want to say this. Don't feel guilted, okay? Um, I know sometimes the best way to get money is to make people feel guilty, but I want you to feel guilty. Um, if you can't do any more than you're already doing right now, great. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you've been very faithful, and so great. Uh, but I figure I wanted you to know the need that we have out there and give you the opportunity to help for what that is. So there are offering boxes on the sidewall on the back. You can give. There you go. If you have any questions, you can talk to me about that afterwards. I will answer any questions you might have. All right? Brains. Okay, great. Welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. Click on Live in there. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, questions, and all that goes along with it, unless you have a Windows phone, because apparently the app in the Windows phone does not have Live in it, because they hate you. I don't know. But anyway, there you go. But, uh, but if you have... You have like an iPhone and Android, you know, come up by live and there you get all the sermon notes and all that goes along with the message this morning. Why don't you stand with me reading God's word? We will get started here. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, to trust you and live lives in such a way that you are glorified and honored and the world around us has great hope because of what you are doing in and through your people. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we're still in this new series called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in it for most of the year. I don't know how long I'm allowed to call something new. But I'm figuring since it's going all year, I can still call it new. Like you can listen to the first four if you missed them on the way to work and back this week. So it's, if you buy a car, it's new for like, what, a year? A house is new for like five years? So the sermon series, five weeks, still new. I'm just going with it. Uh, over the first four weeks, we've covered some huge, huge topics. We've talked about blessed. We've talked about poor in spirit, those who mourn. we talked about inheriting the earth. And today we're going to get to this idea called the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest and most straightforward uh, teaching ever recorded by Jesus. And a lot of times we don't understand it. Uh, we, we hear things like turn the other cheek. And we think that means, you know, get beat up and don't defend yourself. That's not what it means. We also think God helps those who help themselves is in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not. Benjamin Franklin said it, and he's not Jesus, just in case you didn't know. 
Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount talking about things called the Beatitudes. We call them the Beatitudes. Every word starts with blessing. Beatitude means supreme blessing. It comes from that word for bless. And these, again, these are Jesus' words, so they have weight, a lot of weight to them. And so as we get in today, we're going to move into the idea of the kingdom of God, because that's essentially what the first three Beatitudes and all the rest of the Beatitudes and all the rest of the Sermon on the Mount and really all of Jesus' teaching is about is the kingdom of God. It's this idea that when God saves us, he does not just leave us as poor in spirit. He remakes us into people who live in the kingdom of God. He saves us as we are, but does not leave us that way. He makes us into the people he intends for us to be. So the Sermon on the Mount gets quickly to this idea of the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? What is that? Jesus spoke constantly about it. And I think we need to adjust our minds about it because we don't really understand what it is. Uh, In fact, uh, this may tweak you a little bit. Uh, but when you read through the scriptures, you never see Jesus say words like, Receive or accept me as your personal Lord and Savior. He never says that. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. I'll show you what he does say. John chapter 3, you'll see what Jesus says. He says, Repent and enter the kingdom of God. Repent and enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' most famous passage on being born again is John chapter 3. In verse 3, Jesus is talking to a guy named Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, religious leader of the day. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to him, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus talks about new birth, you know, it's not just about being born again. That's not an end of itself. The whole idea behind it is you're born again so you can see or enter the kingdom of God. He says, again, look at verse 5 in John chapter 3. He says, truly, truly, which is like, this is really important. I said it twice. Listen, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? The whole point of being born again is to enter the kingdom of God. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is kingdom of God. What does it actually mean? Well, the kingdom of God is best understood if we think about what happens whenever anybody comes into power, whether it's a new president or a new CEO or a king or a governor or a mayor. When they come into power, this person's new power is expressed through what we call a new administration. And they have some priorities and like a couple strategies in there and some policies. And if they're really wise about how we implement those, then all of a sudden you get an improved quality of life. And that's great and that's wonderful. Now, Jesus is the supernatural and ultimate king of the universe. And so when he comes into power in our lives, that's kind of expressed through a new administration that we would call the kingdom. The kingdom. It's a new set of priorities and how we do our lives and everything kind of begins to change. It's more than just an improved quality of life. It's more comprehensive than we can ever really imagine. Because when Jesus comes into power over our hearts and over our lives, he then comes into power over our families and over all of our relationships and over our communities and institutions and friendships. And he transforms every bit of our lives. And Sermon on the Mount shows us just how far reaching that transformation is supposed to go. And the Beatitudes can only be understood in the context of that. Uh, the, the Beatitudes are sayings that are really known the world over, even if people don't even know they came from Jesus. I mean, sometimes it sounds like things hippies would say, Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Pass me the doobie, you know, whatever, you know. It's, it's like they say, or it's like some, some old, you know, Chinese wise man would tell you as he's teaching you Kung Fu and how to catch, you know, flies with chopsticks. You know, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. My son, grasshopper, whatever. Okay, you know, th- that kind of thing. And what we do is we look at it and we think, oh, these, these are all these nice little different groups of people. There's the mourners, there's the meek, there's the poor in spirit. All those little interesting groups, they all have nice little things about them. 
but we, we totally divorce that from the kingdom of God. And you can't do that. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. How? Why? We looked at that last week. Leo de Rocher is the guy who said, nice guys finish last. He's the guy who says, no, the meek don't get the earth. Anybody else does. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you go to verse 10 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if we understand the Sermon on the Mount and what the Beatitudes are all about, they begin to make a lot more sense because they keep coming back to the kingdom of God. There are not just eight or nine nice little happy sayings. These are actually qualities and characteristics of people who live the kingdom of God. These are all characteristics of one people group. It's not all these different people groups. These are all their little blessings. It's one group of people. One group. Jesus describing what those who have entered the kingdom are like, which makes it very practical to us. Because there's a lot of times people are trying to figure out, where do I stand with God? If you believe in Jesus, you are on great and right footing with God. Uh, you have grace extended to you. Your life is now remade and renewed. But sometimes when you ask people, hey, how's your walk with Jesus going? They're like, well, I don't know. I hope it's going well. And sometimes they say that because we look around and we see this huge variety of experience around us. You know, some people are experiencing this or experiencing that. And some people are really stoic and don't experience much at all. And so we look at all these things and we think, well, how come I'm not experiencing those things like those people are over there? You know, when we hear like, oh, I was born again, that a lot of times sounds like there's this huge emotional experience and change and everything is now different. You know, but what if that wasn't you? What, what if you, you know, grew up loving Jesus and you just love him more now and in a couple of years you love him even more? What if that's you? I mean, what if you weren't like a cracker with track marks on your arm? And what if you didn't, you know, kill small children and animals for fun? And what if you didn't listen to country music before you met, you know? You know, what, what, what you know? Because we look at that and we think, oh, look at all these different experiences. They had these horrible things in their lives and they turned them into Jesus and everything is now different. Well, we have done the ideas of the kingdom of God being born again, put all kinds of stuff on top of it. But what if your emotions didn't have to change? What if? You can get very confused. Timothy Keller says this, Too often we look at the form of Christianity and not the content. And not the content. Because there are so many different kinds of forms and experiences that people have. And he says, there are so many different varieties of experience. But what Jesus does is he cuts through all of that and says, crystal clear, it doesn't matter how it has happened to you or in what form your experience has come. People who are in the kingdom of God have certain characteristics. And those are what the Beatitudes are about. And these things are true for us. They set us apart from everybody else in the world, not in a better than kind of way, in the kingdom of God type of way. And there's nothing vague or general about all of these things. They're really clear. I think even the order of them is very important. Because the first four Beatitudes, they will tell us about what life is like when you walk into the kingdom, when you begin to embrace and live in the kingdom. Because you enter the kingdom when you understand you're poor in spirit. Just what you're like. And then you become to mourn in spirit because you realize what our sin has done to a great and holy and good God. And then we become meek and humble because we realize God's grace has been extended to us. And then we begin to hunger and thirst after his righteousness. And then we become a merciful people where all our relationships are transformed. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. That means our internal life is beginning to change. There's a sincerity and a simplicity in our hearts of how we love and follow Jesus. And then we become a peacemaker. Just like Jesus made peace between us and God and us and each other, we become peacemakers to the world around us. It all goes together. And sometimes we will get persecuted for that. There's an order. The first four are about how to enter living that kingdom life. And the last four talk about this new transformed life for those in the kingdom. And the last two really tell us that your whole direction of your entire life is now changed. Our internal psychology is different. All our relationships are now different. Everything has changed once we begin to understand what living in the kingdom of God looks like. 
And this is the idea. Who is in the kingdom? You know, that, that's the issue. Again, the first four Beatitudes tell us how we begin to live that, that kingdom life. So I'm going to recap the first three. Next week we'll deal with number four. But it really comes down to how we live our life. What does our life look like? And I'm not talking about anything like legalism. I'm just talking about simply what do people who love Jesus begin to look like? You know, the whole blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek. I mean, everybody understands that the human existence is full of problems. We all have issues. The human existence is simply a problem. But what makes the kingdom of God people different than everybody else is how we go and we embrace that and how we see those problems. Uh, there are three points in this that I'm sure I stole these from somewhere. I don't remember where, but I'm sure I did. Uh, the guy said, number one, you must understand that your problems are beyond you. That's poor in spirit. Our problems are beyond us. Secondly, we also understand that our problem is sin. It's not just that our problems are beyond us, but we are poor in spirit. We begin to mourn because we recognize the problem is sin. And number three, we go beyond that to meekness because we become humble because we realize the problem is in us, is in us. This is what makes Christianity different from any other belief system in the world, every other one. Uh, G.K. Chesterton was a really great mind of the 20th century. He's an Englishman. At one point, the Times of London did a series, and they asked all the great writers they could think of to address the question, what is the problem of the universe? I think it would be kind of cool if we saw all the you know, great writers today answer that question. I'd really be interested in what they would say. G.K. Chesterton wrote one line back. This is all he would send, and this is what he, he wrote. The problem with the universe is me. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. See, he's a Christian. And, he, and this is what makes a kingdom view different than anybody else. Number one, we realize we are poor in spirit. We're poor in spirit. When Jesus says, starts off, you know, you're poor in spirit. First thing before understanding you're living in the kingdom of God. You cannot go anywhere in the Christian life without understanding we are poor in spirit. Jesus parts company with the entire rest of modern thinking today. Because we are a self-help, do-it-yourself culture. There's a huge market today for all these self-help books. Telling you how to do life without the experts. Written by experts. To tell you how to do life without them, you know, cooking for dummies and Judaism for dummies and calculus for dummies. You don't need any other thing but then, but my $12 book that I wrote for you to learn how to not do life without me kind of thing. You can fix your own psyche. You can take out your own appendix. You can build your own car. Just read my book. You'll, you'll get it. See, Jesus goes against all this. He goes against the idea of believe in yourself. You have what it takes. Love yourself. Actualize your potential. Stop listening to all those negative thoughts and nagging doubts. You've got what it takes. It's first beatitude is listen to those nagging doubts. Listen to some of those negative things. He's not saying hate yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're poor in spirit. And someone who's poor in spirit understands that we don't have in ourselves what it takes. We can't change ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We are poor. We must go to somebody who can help us. That Our problems are beyond us. That's where Jesus says the starting point is. I am poor in spirit. My problems are beyond me. So I've got to listen to all those nagging doubts. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit doesn't mean you're literally poor. It can mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means you're poor spiritually. Your problems are more than psychological or social or philosophical. They're spiritual. And we cannot truly live in the kingdom of God until we first understand that we are people who are poor in spirit. We realize that our problems go beyond anything a philosopher or a sociologist or a therapist can help us with. You know, we, we can't help ourselves. And I know that this goes against a lot of modern teaching today. And some people say, well, that's not really healthy to tell people, you know, that, that they're the problem. Well, you know, what are you going to do with the $75 of self-help books you got on your shelf you've never read? I mean, seriously, what are you going to do with it? You know, the most famous and successful support group for addicts in history has been Alcoholics Anonymous. And not only AA, but everything that's kind of based on their principles. You know what the first beatitude of AA is? The first step, the first thing to a successful addiction program is we're powerless over our problems. 
That's that's number one. And I th- I don't think Jesus got it from AA. I think AA got it from Jesus. I mean, because that's that's where he starts. I mean, that's that's that wisdom. That's the Beatitudes. The first step out is my problems are beyond me. And it doesn't just work in one narrow section of our life. This is cosmic. It is beyond us. And the reason I want to start there this morning when we talk about, you know, poor in spirit, and the reason Jesus starts there, because there's a lot of people, maybe even people in this room, that approach Christianity like it's a self-help kind of thing. And it's not. You know, we come to Christianity and say, I'm having a hard time in my life, and so I'm going to, you know, try God, and I'm going to see if I get the power to do all the things that I want. I'll, I'll try Him. But you can't try the God of the universe. You have to understand, your problems are beyond you. You have poverty in spirit. We can't clean up our lives. And so we come to Jesus simply saying, it's beyond me. It's beyond me. And so I'm going to trust you because I have this debt in my life and it's more than I could ever pay. I'm spiritually bankrupt and everything's beyond me. Which leads to number two, which is mourning. When he talks about, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, being poor in spirit is being aware about and becoming realistic about all the issues of our problem. I mean, most thoughtful people in the world today will look around and they will say, yes, there's problems in the world. The only people that don't, I think, are teenagers. Are people who think like teenagers. I know 40-year-old guys that think like teenagers. It's crazy. You are really a spiritual adolescent if you think the human existence is like a happy one and we can all get along if we hold hands and just sing Kumbaya. It, it doesn't happen like that. You turn on the news any night, listen to the president, every single thing is a crisis. Everyone is killing everybody else. You know, where and why did it start? Where does it come from? A lot of thoughtful people think about this. Philosophers talk about this all the time. Why are we so bad? Why are we so bad to each other? Why are we so flawed? Why is there such havoc in our world? And everybody tries to come up with some reason. So people are like, oh no, it's the class struggle. That's what it is. You know, you're poor, they're rich, take their money. That, that, that's what it is. Some people, it's, oh, it's evolution. That, that's what the problem is. Oh, no, no, it's low self-esteem. That's the reason we treat each other badly. Well, how do we get it? Well, your parents had low self-esteem. They treated you bad. That, that's how you got it. Okay, well, well where did they get it? Where did it come from? That's the problem. A Christian gets to the place where not only do we admit that our problems are beyond us and it's bad, we admit the problem is actually sin. That's what we admit. Poor in spirit realizes, you know, your problems are beyond you, but now we're talking about all the symptoms. You ever have a, a car that starts to act really weird? Anybody? And then that little light comes on the dashboard called the idiot light, right? Because we are. <laughs> it's like, that's idiot light. That must be me. You know, and, and, then, and then you're like, sometimes, like my dad had, had this truck and he had the idiot light come on, so he took a piece of paper and just put it over the light. <laughs> you know? I call up my friends who's got one of those, you know, OBD2, you plug in, you like, you reset it, you know, oh, I don't need to look at it, boom, I'll just shut it off. And eventually, if you don't take care of the problem, what happens? Your car breaks. See, the first thing when you're, something goes wrong with your car, you've got to admit there's a problem in your car. You've got to admit it. Then you take it to somebody who can actually do something about it. See, it's not just enough to know the symptoms. It's not just know, enough to know those aches and those pains that's going on. You've got to go to somebody who understands what's causing them, what the disease is. And the Bible says in our lives and in our world, the problem is sin. And it's very important for, we to, for us to admit that and not just say, oh, it's, it's low self-esteem. I mean, again, where, where does it come from? It comes come from many different things, but the scriptures say there's just really one answer. It's the issue of sin. There's a man named Otto Rank. He is a Freudian psychologist. He is not a Christian. But at one point, he said something really interesting in his book called Beyond Psychology. He says this, The neurotic type suffers from a consciousness of sin just as much as did his religious ancestor, yet without believing in the conception of sin. This is precisely what makes him neurotic. He feels a sinner without the belief in sin, for which he therefore needs to find a new rational explanation. 
I probably just lost all you, right? Well, essentially what he says is there are people out there who feel like they are doing something, that, like there's sin in their life, but they don't believe in sin, so they won't call it sin, so they try and call it all these other things and slap all these other labels on it, when really it's simply sin. You're trying to find some other explanation. What is sin? Sin is essentially doing our own thing, trying to call our own shots, not wanting to listen to what God calls us to in our lives, not essentially living in the kingdom of God. You have a little kid, and he's going to go across a busy street, and you say, hold my hand. And the kid goes, I'm going to hold your hand. Boom, and he darts out. He could be killed by doing that. I mean, darting out is an awful thing. Being killed is an even more awful thing. But it's a symptom. It's a heart issue. At heart is the unwillingness to hold a parent's hand and say, I can make my own decisions. I want to do what I want to do. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. you got murder, rape, and robbery, and bloodshed. They're all terrible. But the Bible says underneath it all is just one thing. There's a root issue in that, the unwillingness to see ourselves as dependent upon God. Isaiah 53, verse 6, and I want you to stay here because we're going to come back and finish this verse. I'm just going to do the first half bit right now. He says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's a symptom. That's a symptom. We have turned everyone to our own way. That's a symptom. And the essence of sin, it isn't murder and rape and robbery. The essence of sin is saying, I'm going to live my own life, my own way. I don't need to listen to God. The essence of sin is pride. I mean, Augustine says that. All sin comes from pride. We're unwilling to admit that. We're, un, we're not mourning correctly and understanding that. You know, again, poor in spirit leads to the next beatitude of mourning in spirit, repenting over our sin. You know, willing to say our problems are beyond us and the problems are sin. And until we do that, we're always going to be in bondage to it. I worked for a couple guys in my life who always had to be in charge. And when anybody disagreed with them, they didn't see it as, hey, let's build this, let's make something a little different, let's, let's hear some disagreement. They always heard it as disloyalty when you disagreed with them. And, and so they can never manage conflict correctly. And so because me, sometimes I just don't know how to shut up, I say, you know what, that's a pride issue. Which now I'm disloyal, right? Because <laughs> I, you know, I'm like that, that's a pride issue, and until you get that under control, you know that that's, you're never going to manage any conflict correctly. And then they just kicked me out and said, "I'm done with you." And I'm like, "Okay." I nearly got fired once for saying that to one of the, one of these guys. I mean, but people, we do not like to admit that the problem is in us. We don't want to admit that. Uh, Blaise Pascal said the doctrine of original sin is so rude that it offends us because we are offended. It makes it the most com- incomprehensible of all the doctrines, and yet without it, he says, we become incomprehensible to ourselves. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we don't mourn, we are never going to be comforted. We're just going to be confused. We're just going to be confused. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, and, and in a sense, you know, only theirs, because they're going to live the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they, you know, and really only they are going to be comforted because they're only mourning over that idea of their sin. And if this is where we stop, I mean, you would just be under a load of crushing guilt. It would be horrible this morning. You would say, in order to be a Christian, I've got to feel like my problems are beyond me, and I'm just a horrible sinner. That doesn't sound like, you know, a great trip into the kingdom. <laughs> right. So we don't stop in the middle. Like, if you gave birth, you don't stop in the middle. That would be very un- unpleasant. So I hear. Okay. So this goes to the third thing. Jesus talks about which is meekness. We become meek. We become humble people. Again, stay in Isaiah 53, but when you begin to see that your problems are beyond you and that your problems are not something that you know, we can blame on someone else, when we realize it's the issue of our own sin, what do we do with that? What do we do? Meekness, humbleness. We become humble because when we see our sin and we trust Jesus with it, we don't have to become discouraged. We live in humility. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Again, symptom. We have turned everyone to his own way. Symptom, but it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. And the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. 
See, when we first see our sin and realize we've done something really, really, really bad, our first response is always a selfish one. We always turn inward. Oh, what a mess I am. Oh, how terrible I am. I'm just the worst person in the world. I'm a failure. Oh, no, look at me. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. That's self-pity. Repentance is saying, God, I have sinned against you. I am sorry, and I'm going to lay my entire life in your hands. There's a big difference between repentance and self-pity, and until we understand the difference, we've not become meek. We've not become humble. I have a friend who really screwed up a couple weeks ago, and, and he says this to me. He goes, he goes, I just want to shave my head and go live on a hill as a monk and not, and not hurt anybody else ever again. That's self-pity. That's inward-focused because he doesn't want to go and take care of the problems he caused. He just wants to run away. That is self-pity. See, uh, meekness is looking outward from ourselves. How are we going to make this? But we're going to trust Jesus and live in life in the kingdom because that is what makes things better, living in the kingdom. I mean, it's one thing to be upset and be like, oh, I'm a horrible sinner. It's another thing to say, you know what? Of course I've sinned, and Jesus saved me. And I am going to trust him for all of my life. I have been a rebel against God, and I will probably be a rebel till the day I die. But I'm going to try and live in his kingdom, be less and less and less rebel as my life goes on. Jesus, I'm sorry. I mean, there's a confession that Paul tells us that leads to death. There's a kind of confession that leads to life. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief leads to repentance without regret. Why? Because we're humble enough to believe that Jesus took away our sin. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Let me give you an example of worldly grief producing death. It's when we say things like, well, I believe God has forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Really? The God of the universe sent his son to live life, to die a bloody, brutal death on a cross and rise from the dead to pay for your sins. And that is good enough for him to forgive you, but you just can't forgive yourself? Really? That's self-pity. That's self-pity. Because you are saying that you are a more righteous God than God. Because God may have forgiven you, but you know what? You just can't forgive yourself. That's not being meek. That's not being humble. Meek people believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that that has taken away our sin and places in right relationship with God again. To be meek means we become a humble people. We take our minds off of ourselves even as we confess. Even as we go through and say, look at all this garbage I've done. And, we, and it's not self-pity. It's not hurting ourselves. It's not calling ourselves names. But it's saying, God, I see what I've done to the people around me. I see what I've done to you. I'm going to live your kingdom, and I'm going to make this right, and I'm going to do things differently. Not that that saves you. It's just how people in the kingdom live. Outward focus, not looking into ourselves. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me for your own sake. That's where we all need to come. Because a meek person is not a weak person. Actually, the root of this word for meek, what it references to is a tamed wild animal. A tamed wild animal. I mean, that's, that's what a meek person is really like. We understand what our sin has done to those around us. We own up to it. But we realize that Jesus has paid for that and we truly become free. We, we're not a people who are all high up one day and down to the next and up and down and up and down and up and down. Because we simply always say, I didn't do anything to deserve this grace. Nothing. We never feel sorry for ourselves again. Because Jesus has paid the debt and we are humble enough to live that life that he calls us to live and trust him with it. A meek person is not looking at themselves standing in their own honor. We don't stand on our own honor, on our own pride. A meek person is teachable. A meek person is truly free. This is why in John 8.36, Jesus says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's real freedom. 
And the question comes, you know, do you want to be free? Do you want to be healed? Whenever anybody came to Jesus to be healed, he led them first to the place of repentance. Because I think we are only shadows of who we could be until we learn to repent correctly and live grace in the kingdom of God. Because there is no despair if you are mourning in spirit and, and you know, poor in spirit and doing so and seeking Jesus humbly and meekly. There is no despair. There is just hope and grace and truth. Because bless the poor in spirit for theirs, because they are the ones who learn how to live in the kingdom of heaven. They can live it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are the ones who are comforted because they understand what their sin has done and how God has comforted us in that. And blessed are the meek, for they alone will inherit the earth. See, the gospel brings healing and grace and truth. It brings life and goodness. And we've got to step into that because that is the purpose of freedom. All throughout the Old Testament, you will see when God saves His people, like say the Israelites, pulls them out of bondage in Egypt, what's the reason He does that? For freedom. And what was the freedom to do? To worship. That's what he brought him out for. Why does Jesus set you and I free from all the garbage that's on us? So we are a free people who can actually worship rightly. And I know a lot of people think when you hear the word worship, I've got to sing songs all day. I guess you could. I won't. (laughs) I get bored. I'm ADD. I mean, worship is everything we do. Worship is, is, is how you love your spouse. Worship is how you love your kids, how you love your family, how you love the, your neighbors, how you love the people at work, how you love your God. It's all worship. Everything you do is worship. Listening to me yak at you for the last half an hour about the kingdom of God, that's worship. That is worship. You know, you come in, you, and we talk about offering boxes. You know, giving is worship. Hanging out with your friends and, and talking not just about you know, spiritual issues, but just about you know, chit-chat, about funny little things. That's still worship. Everything we do. I mean, in the midst of all that, we should be a people who learn to live the kingdom of God. In all of that. Understanding that we don't have to live in despair because of our sin and what's happened. We get to live in grace and hope and freedom. Because our God has saved us. And that is the greatest grace we could ever imagine. And we speak to people who live in that grace. This is why we come to communion every single week. Communion is a place where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So that we can be a truly free people. A people who live in the grace of God. Who understand that we have been poor in spirit. But God didn't leave us that way. That we've been a people who see what sin has done. And we mourn over that. But God didn't leave us there. That he has offered his grace and hope and truth. And we get to live in the humbleness of that. Because only really humble people can actually live and trust that grace and that freedom that we're called to live in. The band's going to come up. And as they do, they're going to do a couple songs. Uh, we invite you to sing these songs. If you are maybe uh, somebody in, maybe in your life, you have spent a lot of time feeling like, you know, I know God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back that would love to pray with you about that. Maybe spend some time just talking about that. Because there's a lot of people who say those things. But that's, but that's not being humble enough to accept the grace and the love of God. We've got to be humble to live in that grace. I mean, our God is so good to us. I mean, I don't think, you know, this side of heaven, we're ever really going to understand it. I mean, we're always going to fight against it and not really get it. But our God has been so, so good to us. And we must live and trust that grace. Um, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of our worship. You have that opportunity every week. We don't pass a plate. 
You know, it's, it's a response to what God is doing in our lives. And there's still, I think, some donut holes in the back. You grab something to eat, meet some other people, maybe invite somebody out to lunch, talk about, you know, some of these things. You know, maybe all of your conversation is chit-chat. Maybe it needs to go a little bit deeper. Well, you know what, grab some of the questions and we can talk about some of the things we talked about this morning. If you're not in a gospel community, you know, sign up for one. We'll get you plugged in and you guys can talk about some of these questions and the, and the things that are going on because our God is so good to us. We need to be humble enough just to live in that grace and trust the goodness of our great God because then we'll be a people who live in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to how to be meek and humble. Um, not because meekness or humbleness saves us, but meekness and humbleness will enable us to actually live the kingdom today as you call us to. So teach us um, how to mourn over some of the sins in our lives and the, and the garbage that we have done, but not stay there in that spot that we move to the place that is not despair, but of salvation and hope and life. That our grief that our mourning is for the purpose of righteousness and hope. For you have given so much to us. Have us be a people who learn in response to love you back, to live your kingdom now, and to honor you in all things. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for offering us your grace. Not because of anything that we have done, but simply because you are so good. Have us live the kingdom of God. Amen.